This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. For our teaching time today, we are going to go over the gospel passage. Now, the slide up there shows a father and a son sitting in a boat on a lake. And I remember that when I was in like junior high or high school, my dad took me on a fishing trip. And it was to this big lake that was about 100 miles north of where we lived. And so that day we got up at the crack of dawn, as my, one of my cousins used to call it, zero dark 30. And we got up, we rented a boat, and we had that little motor and we putted on out into the lake. And we sat there and we fished for what seemed to me, since I'm the way I am, an eternity. And we sat there and fished and fished and fished and fished. So we discovered at that time how hard it is to catch fish. We look at our passage for today and... We see that in verse 12, it says that when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Now, what's important here is that we have to understand a little bit of the chronology that's going on. Now, it says here that when John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and that covers a great amount of time because scholars estimate that the time between verse 11 and verse 12 was about a year. Because you see, John testifies in John chapter 1 that he saw Jesus, but he saw the dove floating out of heaven and resting on his shoulders. Well, we read that back in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is being baptized and the dove comes out of heaven and rests on his shoulder. Now, after that happens, he goes out into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. The rest of what's happening in John chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 happen in this time frame. Because it says that he's going back to the Galilee when he has to go through Samaria and sees the woman at the well. And he goes to the place where he did his first miracle. It's then that John the Apostle writing says that John the Baptist was arrested. And that's where we come to our gospel passage for today. Jesus is coming along and he's saying to those guys, follow me or I will make you fishers of men. But before that, it says from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that a fairly simple message? It's a simple message. And that is something that we need to keep in mind. The gospel message is just incredibly simple. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sin, and you'll have eternal life. We humans are the ones who make this message so mystical. So complicated, so difficult to understand. And 
we make it where the people who are not in the kingdom really just flatly don't want to hear the message. They'll say, go away, or something else less polite. They'll tell you, leave me alone. I don't want to hear that. But you make it really clear and simple. Now, what's really cool about this is that even though you may be driving around and you see the sign that says no U-turn, well, the gospel inherently allows and encourages U-turns. Why, you say? The word repent means to turn around and go a different direction. So, Jesus, you won't get anywhere with a cop if you argue this, by the way, but Jesus allows U-turns where the sign that's stuck in the median in the road does not. But, we make that turn. Now, what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about here? Well, it's the fact that he has arrived. Because it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's telling the people, as it were, that he's here. The kingdom is here. Jesus by himself is the kingdom because he's what it's all about, right? So the kingdom has arrived because Jesus is there right then and there. Okay? Now, he walks by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so, here's where we have to understand that this is still after John chapter 4. Because in John chapter 1, when he tells Philip, Follow me, the Greek word is akaluthē, And what that means is, follow me to the very end. Follow me to whatever end or result you get. Follow me to the end. The verb used here in this passage, in verse 19, the Greek word is dute. Now you say, what difference does that make? A lot. Because dute means more or less, let's go. Let's get going. Come on, what are you still doing here? Let's get going. Because those guys already knew who Jesus was. They, if you remember in John chapter 1, Andrew and another disciple are there with John the Baptist. And when Jesus walks past, they look and they didn't start following Jesus, right? And then he calls Philip. And then Nathaniel. So what happens there is that Andrew went to get Peter, his brother. Now, does James, John's brother, know Jesus by this time? We don't know. But we know that three, at least three of the four of those guys already knew Jesus. They had already been walking with him. They had already been with him at the wedding in Cana in Galilee, down to Judea where uh, Jesus has that very famous meeting with Nicodemus, and then following him back up to Galilee through Samaria where he sees the woman at the well. So we're here after all of that stuff took place. Now you say, what difference does all that make? What it means is that if somebody's asking you about why it looks like these gospel accounts are so different, you can say, they're really not. Because it all fits together. 
It all fits together in a concise timeline, but you have to be willing to read it all to figure that out. So that's an encouragement to everybody to, guess what? Read the Bible some more. Jesus emphasizes the mission. And what does he say? I will make you fishers of men. This goes back to the early story where we found out the hard way that it's harder to catch fish than you would imagine. And in this case, think about that. If it's hard to catch a fish whose brain is about the size of the head of a pin, think about how hard it is to catch people. And that's where we have to be able to rely on the Lord and the Lord and his power. You see, all of this is God's work. And we have to be willing to follow what God says do, no matter what. And in the book, the actual book, Experiencing God, not the workbook, Henry Blackaby is writing about why it is so hard to catch people. And he says, our world is not attracted to Christ because we don't allow them to see him at work. They don't hesitate to attack the Christian position on morality because they have no fear of the God we serve. They see us doing things for God and say, that's fine, but that's not my thing. The world passes us by not wanting to become involved because they merely see people at work and not God. We got to stop this thing about planning all of what we want to do or what we think God wants us to do. And then looking at the budget, seeing if we can afford to do that and say, nah, we can't afford to do that, so we don't do it. And then we still ask God to bless our plan, right? But what Henry's talking about is the fact that the world comes to know God when they see God's nature expressed through his activity. When God starts to work, he accomplishes something only he can do, and both God's people and the world come to experience him in ways they have never known him before. That is why God gives God-sized assignments to his people. Now, we need to flip ahead to one of the slides up here. Leonard Ravenhill has a quote that fits this very nicely. He says, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire, right? But, he says, likewise, if your church is on fire, and that means the people are on fire for God, not your buildings burning down, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. Because if they see things that are going on that are supernatural in nature to where, wow, how did they do that? They're going to be more impressed than if they see a bunch of us being good Samaritans and running around helping people. And that's important, of course. But they're not seeing the power of God at work when it's stuff that we want to do. 
They're seeing God at work when it's something that is bigger than we are and that they know in their logic that we could not have accomplished it unless God himself had commissioned it. So that's how we're going to attract people to Christ. That's how we succeed as being fishers of men. Going to God, asking him what he wants us to do, and then after he says what he wants us to do, we immediately say, okay, God, I'll do that. And then you think, why did I agree to that? I never could, I, I can't do that. And God says, that's the point. You can't, but I can. And that's what being a fisher of men is about. Doing God's work in taking and receiving and accepting God-sized assignments to achieve things that only God can do. And that's one of the things that we as a church need to be thinking about. And that's looking at where God wants us to go, what he wants for us to do, and then all praying together about that, God, what work do you have for Christ the King Church to do? Tell me what it is, and we'll do it. Because there's a story in the Experiencing God book that this church that Henry Blackaby was pastor of in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, that's a mouthful, he, they felt that congregation had 14 people in it. Mm -hmm. And God called them to start mission churches. And guess what? They had $749 in their operating budget. And the people said, we can't do this. And Henry said, oh yeah, we can. God's telling us to do this. We're going to ask him to provide. So they set out to find and start their first mission church. And they want to call a pastor for that church. They have no money to pay this dude. But this guy calls up and says, Henry, I have been searching the Lord and asking him, and I think he wants me to come to Saskatchewan and pastor a church. So he said, okay, come on, knowing that they had no money to pay him. The next day, he gets a call from a rich businessman in Texas who says, God's been laying it upon my heart to support missions in Canada. I'm going to send you a donation. And it was enough money to pay that pastor's salary for a year. He sent him like $40,000 or something. The Lord provided. And we cannot hesitate or should not hesitate to do what God wants us to do because we just heard a story here about how God will provide if he tells us to do something that the world will think is absolutely completely illogical. You guys are out of your mind trying to do that. How are you going to have the money to do that? And we'll say, we don't, but God does. And he's not stingy with his money. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. 
If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your power for living. Mm-hmm.